Hello everyone, welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello everyone, welcome to Sabbath School Gems. This is Lesson 5 for Sabbath, July 31, 2021, and it's called Come to Me from the, from the Quarterly Rest in Christ. And again, I've asked my friends, Stephen, Jocelyn, and Julie, to join me as we uncover and discuss these gems. This is a very interesting lesson, and I'm going to try to make this pretty much open-ended. The focus of this lesson is entirely around one single Bible verse, which is the main memory verse. But we're going to keep unpacking and exploring and discussing this verse further and further. Before we go any farther, I think we should go ahead and start with a, a word of prayer and ask God's presence here with us and continue from that point. Um, again, as for volunteers, anyone want to open up with prayer? I'll pray. Okay. Our loving Father in heaven, as we open up this Sabbath school um, lesson, about burdens and coming to you. I just pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to guide and lead in our discussion, that you will help us to understand what it means to take your yoke um, upon us and learn from Jesus. I just pray for your presence and your guidance as we open up your word this day. And I thank you, Lord, that you desire something so much better for us than what we can even imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. So, memory verse is, again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, big question here is, we have a burden in this world. We have something that we're laboring with. And the lesson mentions the burden of farming. It talks about the sweat of your, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. I don't know if many of us can get out of that particular burden. I'm not really sure that's the burden we're talking about here because we still have to labor for money, for food, for everything else. And that seems to occur most of the time, at least for most of us. But there's another issue, of course, a spiritual aspect to this, which is a burden on our soul, a burden of our mind, a burden on our body. And God asks us to put this burden down and take up his burden. So basically we're going to explore what is the burden we're carrying, how do we get rid of the burden we're carrying, and what's God's burden. And of course, pack this, unpack this quite a bit. So the simple answer, probably most of you know, is take up connection with God. Take up faith with Jesus. You can either bear the burdens of this world, have faith in ourselves. Second alternative is turn all of our burdens over to God and take up God's burden and let him take up our burdens. When you look back at the history of this universe, you have, of course, Lucifer who sinned in heaven and his great sin was this attitude of pride. The idea of pride being that you are the greatest, you are the most important, the universe revolves around you. This idea rejects welfare of others, it's totally selfish, and 
it often is causing many, many burdens in this world. What's the opposite of this? An attitude of humility, faith in God, rest from our independence from God and learning to be dependent upon God. So I wanna open this up for discussion. What do you guys think? What, what burden do you think God's asking us to set down? What burden are we carrying without God? I think that one of the burdens that we have to carry in this world is trying to meet the standards of this world. Like in society, there's so many expectations that we need to reach. And if we fall short, it's like we're nothing. So I think that's something that God wants to free us from. The obligation to meet um, the standards that this world has for us, because in the end, they're going to lead to, they're not going to lead to anything. It's just going to be dust. So he wants to give us more value. And by letting go of these burdens, we can actually have this value rather than taking on the, the standards of the world. Exactly. Amen. No, thank you. Okay. And again, I think I think what what I think what Jocelyn was saying is, is true because you know if you just go back to chapter ten of that verse that we're reading, it's talking about you know he's kind of telling his disciples you know don't worry when you you know when you go in and you know if they if if they if the people reject you you know just leave them don't. Um, you know, if they're not going to receive you and hear your words, then you just depart from them and shake the dust off your feet. And he's he's trying to tell them and set them up that they're not going to be, they're not always going to be welcome. They're not, the, the gospel message is not always going to be falling on them and, and people are just going to be accepting them. It, it, there is going to be this element that they, that they have to get used to knowing that it's, it's not going to just be um, easy in that sense. So it is kind of, it is kind of interesting that he goes and he contrasts that with, you know, in chapter 11, where he's, where he mentions, come to me, you're heavy laden, because, you know, in, in that sense, he's telling them, it's not going to be easy. You know, people are going to reject you and, you know, you're going to have to, they're going to say this, they're going to say that, they're, they're rejecting God. So, you know, if they reject God, what are they going to do with you? So it, it, it is definitely a contrast. But. True. In chapter 10, exactly. It's, there's the sending out of the 12 apostles immediately prior to this. And it does express that exact principle. And, it and, has and it's not a minor thing either because it's like brother's going to deliver a brother and father is a child and children rise up against his parents and, and you'll be hated for my name's sake so it's, it's not just a like yeah they're going to reject you but it's going to be like you're going to be persecuted you could be persecuted for this any other insights what what other thing, other burdens does god want to relieve us of 
Well, you know, he doesn't want us to be stressed with overwork. He doesn't want us to be stressed with um, financial issues or cares. Um, I have a girlfriend who had knee replacement surgery done, I think it was on Thursday or Friday. And, you know, they were supposed to send her home um, yesterday and she didn't get to go home because of this and that. And so she was told to get to go home today, but they're holding her because one of her labs is off. And, you know, she's, she's all worried about that. And I tried to let her know, God knows, he knows what we need. That lab value is not that critical or significant, but he, he left you in there so that you could rest. If you go home, you have to do everything. Your daughter has to do everything. You know, it's much more work. It's much more, it's harder for you. You know, and not that that's always the best thing when it comes to the, you know, staying in the hospital. It's not always the best thing, but, you know, God doesn't want us over worried and overburdened. And a lot of it has to do with what we feel is overstressed. You know, if you're very stressed in the hospital, you think that it's a nicer burden, you know, if you could go home. But on the other hand, not realizing that you have a lot more work you have to do on Sabbath if you go home you know, just try and appreciate where you are at what time. So I think there are a lot of things that God doesn't want us burdened with, but a lot of it has to do with our perspective and whether we see if it's a burden or not. One interesting thing, if you do just a keyword search for burden to see what the Bible refers to as burdens, you get so many things you've, of course, got the stories of those who were ill, those who were set free. People are burdened by sickness, by paralysis, by leprosy. And God sets forth that burden off their bodies and makes them free. There's also a lot of interesting phrases in the Old Testament prophets where the burden is described as well, let me just read a couple of them. In Nahum, there's a message. The burden against Nineveh. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. The burden of the word of God. The burden of the word to Israel by Malachi. This burden concerns a prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. And again, the connotation there, I assume is concerns, worries. Never thought of it from the point of God's perspective of these burdens of issues of worry that God has for us. But doesn't that apply equally to worries that we have of this world? So that's one more perspective. Another one obvious is Sabbath. Bring no burdens through the gates on the Sabbath day. Bear no burden. What burdens do we give up on the Sabbath day that we carry during the week? Anyway, let me continue on. On Sunday's lesson, again, as Diane already mentioned a bit, context is desperately needed for the verses. If I go back just a couple verses, let me start. Something we haven't mentioned yet. The woe to the unrepentant cities. Um, does anyone have Bibles available? Would some be able to read? Yeah. I've got it here. 
How about Matthew 11, 20 through 24? This is. Okay, Matthew 11, 20 to 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Okay, these verses are the ones directly before the ones we're reading. It's discussing how, again, the day of judgment is against all these cities. And then it immediately gives an answer, presumably a message to these cities, to these people who are not relieving themselves of their burdens. And the message is, of course, come all to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So in context of these cities, what burden do they have? What burden are they not giving up? Well, they're, they're not being, they're not repenting. I mean, it, what he's saying is he's going, he, he's, these people are being witnessed to in great and mighty ways, and they're not repenting. And it seems like it's because of their, I mean, their pride and their arrogance and their supposed wisdom and all this supposed stuff, because, you know, it's, it's like they're, they're, they think they're high and mighty, and here he's putting them underneath, underneath Sodom. He's saying Sodom is better than you. You guys are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, how, how much of a rebuke is that? Because, I mean, that's pretty bad. So in other words, they're rejecting. I mean, Christ is there. With, he's among them. The, the disciples are witnessing. They're, they're getting they're getting witness to and they're still rejecting rejecting God. Um, and, and so, you know, he's rebuking them saying, you know, woe to you, you're, you're worse than these other cities. And, and you can see just the, the pride, how they think they're so haughty and yet they're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, there's, there's definitely this element of they, they think they're righteous and they have this element of, you know, they're so great that they can't even hear God. Well, the question though is, is this what the burden is? Is this burden only sin? I mean, obviously unrepented sin is definitely a burden. No question about that. I'm sure we all have felt and struggled with problems and issues that we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be thinking. We shouldn't be involved with that drags us and causes us tremendous stress and problems. And God's asking us to repent, to give up those burdens. It really seems like it, it's painting this picture of these people who are not repenting and, and 
and Jesus goes on to say that he's, you know, that, that God is basically, it, it, it says in like in verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. And, you know, if you read on in there too, he's talking about being humble and, and gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest. So I get the picture of these people who think they're righteous. They think they're so wise and prudent and they're so big and high and mighty that they're not even seeing what's right in front of them. Like they're so blinded by it. And yet God is revealing it to babes. He's revealing it to those that are not all high and mighty, that those who don't claim to be wise and prudent, he's, he's revealing himself to the little people that God is revealing to the little people. And it's, that is, it seems like that is the rest. Those people are going to be at rest. Those lowly people, those ones that are just listening to God versus these high and mighty ones. It's like, it's like they're, ever seeking and and they you know they have all their whatever they do in their big cities that they think are so great and i think that i mean we can see that we know what cities and and people that don't repent and especially if they're not even hearing god when he's right there in the midst of them you know it just it's just painting a picture that they they're just carrying all kinds of burdens and everything and they're they're not repentant and then you have this contrast of these people that are lowly of spirit and and they listen to god and they find that peace they find that rest that only god can provide they're following him and listening to him and doing his doing his will okay well let's go on to monday's lesson which is i think where you're going with this because right, the, the verses immediately afterwards, in verse 29 and 30, and I'll read that here, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is implying that there's a new work, something new that we don't do ourselves, that we learn from Jesus. That we're taking that we don't have already so there's something that we're giving up and there's something that we're taking on this give any other insights into what we're, we're taking on and what we're giving up You know, I thought it was interesting that the lesson went in different directions, but it really didn't talk about what Christ's uh, yoke is and what his burden is, because he wants us to take on the same yoke and be bound together with him doing the same work. You know, when you put a yoke on a pair of oxen, they're both working together, not one's not going off in one direction and one off in the other. They're working together. And because they're both working together and pulling together with that yoke around them their burden is made lighter because there's two of them as opposed to one of them so you know he's using this analogy about the yoke and the burden and he's telling us that he wants us to be in the same work with him 
in the same yoke doing the same work and then our burden would be light but it doesn't really specify what that yoke is and what his burden is and i think that in order for us to understand this text better i think we need to understand exactly what his yoke is and what his burden is no i agree completely that's that's exactly what we think we should definitely go to next uh, like you mentioned, the yoke is definitely not a bridle. It's not a bit. It's not something that's compelled or forced. It's definitely something that is sharing the load. And I agree, you, I assume you see the context. Here is that we are yoking ourselves to Christ. We are yoking ourselves to share a burden with, with God to do some work. And you're right, I don't see well, a lot of no, discussions. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was a big eye opener to me when I realized I had kind of one of those aha moments when I realized that God's entire work down here, Jesus's entire work and the whole plan of salvation, the whole sanctuary service, the whole, you know, uh, worship, God's worship, his whole focus is to get man saved. That's his only work down here. He's not going off on some tangent to do this thing or that thing or the other thing. His whole purpose is to get mankind saved. And so that's what Christ was doing when he was on the earth. He was working for the salvation of, of men. And now he did it in different ways. I mean, at some places he went to this area to go talk to that woman. And, and in other areas, he gave this object lesson or this, you know, purpose or something like that. But his whole purpose was to get mankind saved. And if that's the burden, then we need to realize the significance of that for us. And the two steps that are used to describe this is usually that the sinner must be convicted of their sinful state, beware of some problem that they must give up. And then of course, listen to God and follow and do something different than they would, were doing before. I found a interesting quote in Desire of Ages, which is actually not described by the lesson itself, but in Desire of Ages on 329, paragraph three, uh, she says that the yoke that binds the service is the law of God, the great law of love revealed in Eden proclaimed on Sinai and written in the new covenant on the heart is that which binds the human worker to the will of God. So again, this doesn't describe the burden, but it definitely describes the yoke. And she closes this up by saying, love for God, zeal for his glory, love for fallen humanity brought Jesus to earth to suffer and die. And this was the controlling power of his life. And this is the principle that he binds us to adopt. So if you look at Tuesday's lesson, the discussion here is on what this burden is, what this burden is involved with. Let me go ahead and just read the Ellen White quote on the top of the page here. She says, the knowledge of truth depends not so much on strength of intellect as upon pureness of purpose, simplicity of earnest dependent faith. 
and those who are humility of heart seek for divine guidance. Angels of God draw near. The Holy Spirit is given to open to them the rich treasures of truth. So again, how would you describe meekness and humility? How would you describe what's needed to take on this burden? I think that what we need would be to kind of let go of ourselves in a way so that we can take on the things that God wants us to have, like the thoughts that he wants us to have, the tasks that he wants us to have. They all get sort of lost if we're not in connection with him. So what he wants us to do, I think involves a lot on our faith, how much we trust and depend on him. Because only by then can we realize what it is that he wants us to do here on earth. You know, you're so right in that, Jocelyn. That is so yeah. crucial because, you know, part, the, the whole definition of rebellion is we have rebelled against God. We're not letting him direct traffic. We're not letting him control what we do and, and how we do it. And that's, that's exactly what you're saying. If, if we don't give up our own will, we can't be working with him. We can't be in harmony with him. And it's true. You can't, you can't serve two masters. You can't go two different directions at the same time. Well said. Yeah, that, that's really excellent. I mean, because that, that is the key. I mean, even in verse, um, you know, where, where was it? it says the, the father, all things have been delivered to me in verse 27 um, to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son reveals it. And I think if we, if we are not, if we're just looking to ourselves and we're not in this communion with God and we're not letting him direct things, then we're, we're, we're just, we're off on his own, on our own. And not only that, but we can be working against his purposes. We're not fully aligned with him and, and, and we're just seeking to do our own um, thing, which it really sounds like that was what was going on here. These people are just so hardened that they won't, they can't even see Jesus coming there to preach with them. And, you know, you're talking about the burden, you just go to that verse, um, verse one, where it said, he, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. That's what he's doing. He's doing, he came here to be a witness for God and to convert souls. And that, that is his burden, if you call it that, but that's what he's working in conjunction with God to do. And that's what I think he's trying to comfort the disciples. So it, it sounds bad. It sounds like, okay, these people are going to be persecuting you and everything. But when you're aligned with God, none of that matters. None of that matters. God's going to take care of all the things that, that we need if we align with him 
we get ourselves out of the way and and he's gonna take care of those things. And you can see how different that is from what the world tells us. Like everywhere in society, it's telling us, oh, you know, do you, um, you put yourself first and all that. And like everything else doesn't matter, but like, it's so interesting to see how God wants us to be different. He wants us to be humble and to be caring of people even if we may not necessarily know them that well that's how Jesus was and that's how he wants us to be as well it's difficult but it gets us out of this uh this state of mind of just caring about ourselves and just living inside our own bubble you know I like that phrase because it's it's exactly what I think the lesson's trying to say is what what does a heathen do? What do people who don't know God worry about? What are their what are their goals in life? Are their goals to accumulate possessions, to get influence in the world, to secure future, secure power, secure something in this life? And how does that contrast to someone who works with Christ? look at practical examples of like Paul when when Paul was Saul his main purpose in life his main drive was to basically persecute Christians for the church he was going to help the God and help God's people by destroying these horrific Christians and put them to death and purify the religion of the day when he was awakened to Christ and he started doing everything through Christ and had his dramatic roadside conversion, look how different his life was. Look how different his concerns were. He was, as he describes himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, someone who pursued learning, pursued accomplishments, pursued zeal and knowledge and position and turn that all upside down. So again, the question that I'd like to focus on next is, what are other aspects of the yoke of bondage? What are the burdens that we have to give up in our, our lives in this world? What things do we have to substitute for and what are we, what are we giving up? We have any other well, I mean, I mean, ultimately, we have to be willing to give our life up. That's the example that Christ is setting. And it, I mean, it sounds really harsh, and it sounds almost un undoable. But with God's help, that's the point that we need to be at. Just in realizing that this world is not the final destination. And see, this is this is a thing. It's so easy to fall into that trap, especially especially when you're young, everything's going well, everything's, you know, rosy. And then you start going through life and you start seeing things that just are not fair, that are really extremely painful. And, you know, you go through all these things. And by the time I think you get older, I mean, I think that's why they say there's a lot of old people in the church and somebody will say, well, that's because they have nothing to do. Well, no, it's probably not. It's probably because 
they've gone through enough things to see that this world is, is not really fair and there really isn't anything here that's of substance that we do have to have that faith and hope that God will have something better for us because he does because he didn't put us on this earth just to suffer all these sufferings. And so I think when we start realizing that it, it does take a burden off of us because then we're not trying to achieve this or achieve that or, and, or be being disappointed that we don't have something. It's, it's just putting it in a whole different perspective. Like we're here on this earth to choose God and to get as many people as possible to see God for who he is so that they'll choose him also. And not everyone's going to choose him, but if people don't even see him, they don't even see how wonderful and good of a God he is, then they don't even really have that choice because he's, you know, from every angle in this world that we see now, it, you know, everything's to discredit God. Now they don't even want to acknowledge that God created the earth. I mean, it's, it's just, everything is just, denigrating him and and defacing him and so i think once we realize that i think the burden is lifted because we don't have to achieve everything in this life it's not going to be fair and we're not going to just get to the end of our life and go oh this has just been a disappointment because it shouldn't be a disappointment it should be us aligning ourselves with god yoking ourselves with him and being on the same mission that he's on and whatever that entails because, like, for me, it'll be something different. For you, it's something different. You know, we all have a different role to play in wherever the corner of the world that we are and the light that we can be there. So I think that's a perspective that, that gives us the peace. Now, jumping back to what we said earlier, I, I like that point you made, is when Jesus sent the 12 apostles out, he told them, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. He sent them out to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And there's an interesting phrase. It says, whoever will not receive you or hear your words when you depart from that city, Shake off the dust from your feet. And assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it is for that city. So do you see the parallels with what we already saw in verse, in chapter 11? There's exactly as mentioned, there's God's people going out, teaching God's way of living giving by example, people living with very little concern for possessions, doing God's work and letting possessions worry for themselves. And those who reject God's message are the people who are described as people in the cities that we discussed before. Tendency as described in Wednesday's lesson was when we are not keeping God's law, when we're not following God's teaching, when we're not following and yoking ourselves to him, what do we do instead? What, what type of burdens do we put on ourselves 
that causes trouble when we are not yoked to God. There's definitely a God-shaped hole in our lives. What do people do to fill those problems and gaps if they're not yoked to God? I think they try to distract themselves with whatever is around them. That's how um, perhaps addictions can occur or taking on other things that don't benefit them or anybody else. I think that's some of the things that can result from not having God in your life and letting him lead you. This sort of restlessness occurs, even if they may not be aware of the fact that it's because God isn't with them, that they're not paying attention to him. Yeah, exactly. People definitely search for meaning, definitely search for things that bring meaning to life without, if they don't feel it. Well, yeah, I mean, people are... No, I was just going to say, people just, you know, they're seeking after everything, seeking after fame or wealth or whatever it is. They're never satisfied. The more they have, the less satisfied they are. Yeah. I was going to say that, you know, the the lesson brought up the law and the law in Galatians, um, which isn't clearly understood. And they didn't really make a distinct um, explanation about what the burden was regarding the law, because God's law is not a burden. And, you know, take a look at, at the witness of the children of Israel um, after Sinai and before Babylon. You know, at Sinai, God spoke his law and they didn't want to hear. They said, let not God speak to us you know, lest we die, let Moses, you know, speak to God, and then he can tell us, and then we'll hear. The problem is, is that God's words are the only words that actually have transforming power, and that can impart the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be obedient, so that we can listen. And so what ended up happening is because they didn't want to listen to God, and they put their fingers in their ears, then God couldn't give them the finer points of the law. He couldn't explain, you know, exactly how this was right and that was wrong and, and what to do in this situation that wasn't explained, you know, in just what he had given them before. So then what they started to do is they started to write the Talmud. And the Talmud is, you know, comprised of this rabbi saying, oh, well, this is you know, the, uh, this is how far you can travel on a Sabbath day's walk. And this is the weight you can travel on a Sabbath day. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're resting if you're doing this or it's work if you're doing that. And I mean, take a look at the talent. It's 22 volumes. It's written over, you know, hundreds of, of years by lots of, of different rabbis. They're conflicting reports here and there. It tells you what sandal to put on first and, you know, what to put on next. And, you know, it's just a really heavy burden that, you know, Jews today are still laboring under. They're still, some of them are still trying to hold to the Talmud above the law of God. And really, God never intended it that way. He intended it to be where we listen to his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit teaches us the finer points of the law. And it's not that difficult. 
it's not supposed to be, it's not meant to be that difficult or challenging. Exactly. That's actually where I was going next is that God's law is always freed, is always freedom, is always freeing to people who follow it. If you are among God's people and they're all trustworthy, they're all telling the truth. They never steal, they never hurt, murder, kill, they never cause strife, they never covet. How free, how good would it be to live in a society focused on God's law? But you're right, human beings want to create something. They want to do some good work. They want to create some effort to substitute for God's law if they don't want to follow God's law directly. And every single effort always falls into that trap of being a heavy burden. And you're right, I don't think the Galatians 5 quote is not described too detailed, but I think so many places in scripture are describing exactly what you said, Julie. It's that when Paul is writing, say, people do not subject yourselves to regulations, as Colossians 2.20, where the regulations are do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All things concerning things which perish according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humanity, and neglect of the body, but have no value against indulgence of the flesh. So I thought it was a great insight that there are burdens of sin. There's burdens of the problems, as it mentions here, indulgence of the flesh. And then there's additional burdens, which mankind loves to put on itself, as in all these additional man-made laws, all the Talmudic rules, all the restrictions on how many steps you can walk on the Sabbath day, what has to be sewn into the robes and so forth. You know, it's not even just that though, Stephen. It's the whole burden of us having to be God and say, this is how much weight you can carry on the Sabbath. When God didn't dictate that, but if, you know, he is talking to us through his Holy Spirit, he will let us know if this is too much or that is too little, you know, he's the one that gets to direct that. But when we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, not only do we have all of these unnecessary requirements and burdens that are put on us, but then we also have the added responsibility of we have to be God. We, we have to be the ones that say, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. When God never said that, you know, he never wanted that responsibility to fall onto us. But yet, you know, the Jews over the years have had thousands of years of trying to you know, say what can be done and what can't be done. And it's just, you can see that it's turned into a, a mountain of tedium. But on the other hand, it's all the effort and the time and the energy that how many countless people have had to, to put into that to try and make these rules and make a hedge around God's law when the Holy Spirit is supposed to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. That's God's work. That's not our work. So it's not just the tedium of the law. It's the tedium of, of having to be God and make those decisions that were never ours to make in the first place. Yeah, you know, they have the rabbis have their hierarchy, you know, so it, it's like a it's like a caste system or something. They have, oh, this rabbi is, you know, even closer to God, so we put more weight on this rabbi, and, and 
you know, they have this whole kind of ranking system, even, I mean, today, that, that, um, so I think it, it is like that. There, there's a burden for both, on both sides, I think is what you're saying. There's a burden on the side of who's making the rules and then a burden on the people that have to keep it and keep track of everything. And, you know, what, what is the current ruling of the day and what are we supposed to do? It's, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole system that, you know, when God says he's going to write his laws on our hearts, that means it, it's going to be in, intrinsic to us. It's going to be intuitive. It's going to be, you know, listening to our own conscience, and God is going to speak to us, and it's not going to be this unnatural thing where we have to feel like we're so burdened to keep track of all these rules, and if we, you know, misstep, it's just not like that. Can we turn even this? Well, in Galatians 5.1, it mentions circumcision, how circumcision is a, became a burden to bury. My question is, can we twist and distort things of God to make them a burden for us? Can we turn the Sabbath into a burden? Can we even make the Ten Commandments a burden? Can we make other aspects of following God and distort them in such a way that they're a burden? I mean, the thing with circumcision is that was supposed to be a token of a covenant. And they totally changed that. I mean, it's almost to the opposite effect. If that is supposed to be a token and a symbolism of this close covenant relationship of us with God, and then it was turned into, we don't even know the extent of what was going on at the time, but it was definitely putting God in a bad light, putting, you know, this whole thing of, you know, you kind of like you have to do this to be part of this club. And once you're part of this club, then you don't have to worry. Then you're saved. Then you're, you know, part of Abraham's seed. And, you know, it, it was just this whole false reality, which actually served to draw people away from having that covenant relationship. So it was, it was a symbol of a, a close relationship that was actually causing people to not have that close relationship. And so, I mean, that was something that was very bad at the time, but, but sure, anything, if we take anything out of context and, you know, Satan is a master at doing this, he can twist things. It's not like, okay, this is good and now it's bad, but it's just twisted in a really insidious way. And, and so we can take anything, the beautiful things that God has for us, like the Sabbath or, you know, just all the things that he gave to us for our health and our strength, and we can turn them into being some kind of a burden and, um, and, and even if people say, well, it's not a burden, but, but it kind of is, you know, the way that they perceive it. If you don't, if you're not spending the Sabbath in communion with God and getting refreshed and renewed, then it is a burden. Um, and so I, I just, yeah, I think, I think anything could be twisted, but I don't think it's important to look at what could be twisted as much as it is if to, to look to God to define, you know, what we should be doing, the Bible gives us guidelines, and we should be trusting the Bible. We shouldn't be trusting what other people tell us. If it, if it doesn't seem right, if our conscience is not convicting us of it, you know, or if it seems like it's a burden, it's probably not from God, because God doesn't ask us to do... I mean, His way is so natural. It's like when it says, you know, unless God 
build the city, um, or unless God guards the city, the, the watchmen um, labor in vain. Yeah, they awake in vain. But you yeah, know, it's not it's not that way for everybody. And so our safeguard is to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Because not everybody has that um, upbringing or understanding, you know, until God, God's Holy Spirit speaks to us and, and writes his law. Again, that's his work. To, but it's our work to follow what he's given us so that his Holy Spirit can come abide with us. He's not going to put his Holy Spirit in someone who is unwilling to let them be let, you know, to let God lead them. So, you know, we, we can, we can labor in vain to do these things, but um, we also have to trust that we don't always have all of the, the guidance and we definitely can't trust our own feelings and emotions for that. You know, just look at anybody who, who's, done something really wicked and you know they said well my heart told me to do it you know we have to actually go by the law and the testimony precept upon precept step by step to let god lead us well, in that way yeah and we have to have a relationship with god we have to not be turning off that holy spirit when when it speaks to us because you know if we do keep turning that off, then we will start listening to other things, other spirits or. True. There's one more aspect I want to just bring to everyone's attention. In the Old Testament, there's a beautiful passage, which probably all are very familiar with, which describes all of these elements. It describes burdens, it describes yokes, it describes what God's burden is and what God wants. And I thought it was a great explanation of the whole contrast here. It's Isaiah 58, six to seven. It says, is not, is not this the fast I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, is it not to deal your bread to the hungry that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house when you see the naked that you cover him that you hide your, not yourself from your own flesh then your light shall break forth in the morning your health shall spring forth speedily your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of god shall be your rear guard and i thought this was a great contrast to what the yoke of Christ is, what he asks us to do. He's not asking us to pursue things of this world. He's not asking us to take up the burdens that we already have in such a better way. He's giving us something totally different. And I thought this was a great conclusion as mentioned in Wednesday's Thursday's lesson. If everyone bore everyone else's burdens. If we all worked to make everyone else's burdens light, what would happen to our burdens? What would happen to our problems? Well, 
Well, I really think that if God gives you that to do, then it's going to be the best thing you can do. But, you know, the world's got an awful lot of problems. And, you know, the, the ravens weren't sent to everybody. You know, they were sent to Elijah. And Elijah was sent to, you know, there were lots of, of widows in Israel, but he wasn't sent there. You know, there's, there's, you could totally bog yourself down and drown in the humanitarian efforts of the world. You really need to let God direct what it is you do. And yeah, it's always nice to have help with a burden. But, you know, there are some people who have taken on responsibilities and things that God never gave them to do. And that burden is too big. You know, if it's if it's and what I'm saying is if God didn't give you that burden or if he didn't give you the responsibility to help someone with their burden, it's going to be more than what he wants you to do. So it's not that it's a bad thing, you know, helping someone with a burden. It's just that Satan can still use that to completely derail you and misdirect you. You need to listen to God and what he's saying and what he's telling you to do. Yeah, I mean, you always have cases of people, or there have been cases of people that, you know, do all this work to the church and they feel like they have to do all this stuff and they, they just get themselves worn out. And they're not, you know, good for anything. They're not, you're not, they're not really aligned. They, they're doing the work in the name of the church, but are they doing work in the name of God? Are they really doing what he wants them to do? No, definitely true. And that is, that is the most important thing. And taking us right back to the beginning of the lesson is that the real contrast for the two burdens at least in my opinion, is that the burden of this world is always something of selfishness, always of something we're doing. And the burden that God wants us to put on is a burden of connectedness to God. We have to be yoked to God. We have to be listening to God and doing his work, whatever that work is. If we pursue something of our own, like I said, even if it's something unselfish, even if it's something for other people's benefit, if it's not with God's support and it's not with God's guidance, his direction, then we're definitely not going to be going anywhere with it. Any other insights in this lesson? Any other gems? Any other concepts that you guys found that we haven't covered so far? I liked um, the Ellen White quotes on Friday's lesson. The um, first one being, when you find your work hard, when you complain of difficulties and trials, when you say that you have no strength to withstand temptation, that you cannot overcome impatience, and that the Christian life is uphill work, be sure that you are not bearing the yoke of Christ. You are bearing the yoke of another master. And that's from Trial Guidance, page 267. And I don't know if someone has the, the second quote, if someone wants to read that. Yeah, I'd like to read it here too. That one's also really good. There is need of constant watchfulness and earnest loving devotion, but these will come naturally when the soul is kept by the power of God through faith. We can do nothing, absolutely nothing to commend ourselves to divine favor. 
we must not trust it all to ourselves or to our good works. But when as erring sinful beings we come to Christ, we may find rest in his love, and God will accept everyone who comes to him, trusting wholly in the merits of a crucified Savior. Love springs up in the heart. There may be no ecstasy of feeling, but there is an abiding, peaceful trust. Every burden is light, for the yoke which Christ imposes is easy. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice of pleasure. The path that before seems shrouded in darkness becomes bright with beams from the sun of righteousness. This is walking in the light as Christ is in the, is in the light. That's Faith and Works, 38 and 39. You know, I think it's appropriate that it's from Faith and Works because um, it takes a lot of faith to let God be God and to trust him that he knows what he's doing and that he's able to keep everything working just so. And, you know, when we see something and we just think it's so important that we do this, if that's not what God has given us to do, it may seem really important, but do we have that strong connection with him? Do we trust him that he has another way? He has a thousand ways of doing things that we know nothing of. He has other ways of taking care of it other than expending um, resources, time, effort, energy that we don't have, you know, to put out a fire that's too big for us when somebody else may be able to come up and just snuff it out really easy. So do we have faith in him that he's orchestrating everything according to his will? That's what we need when the Holy Spirit guides us and guides others around us, then the whole army marches in perfect order and they don't break ranks. I found this great quote, which is not in the lesson, but I think applied to it really well. It says that we all live in our own reality. We create problems in our own realities by struggling to control things that we can't control instead of letting them be. When we let them be, we turn them over to God to handle. And at least in my own life, it's always the case where I think we all struggle with, at least I do, trying to control too many things that I simply don't have the power to control. And I think that's what we should be taking away from this lesson is let's let God handle more of our problems, more of our burdens, and turn these over to him completely. Let him bring solutions to us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your insights today. And we thank you, for, most importantly, for your Holy Spirit, which you've sent out to bless us and guide us. Help us to remain in humility, connected to you, bearing your burden, following the yoke that you guide, and letting you carry your part of the burden, making this yoke light for us. Teach us and show us and correct us when we veer off your path. Most importantly, please come back to cleanse this world from sin and burdens and all these problems that we deal with. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.